everyone. Welcome back to the Not So Rare podcast. We have Taylor Lewis and I'm Liz Bovey, and we are still together because we're recording a bunch of episodes together this weekend. And today we wanted to wrap up our rare disease Mythbuster series. This is something we've been working on for the past couple months, um, slowly going through the myths. Um, we, there's about five left. Um, I actually don't think the last one's a true Thing. I think it's like an ad or something. So it's yeah. not really as many as we think it probably could be. So we think that rather than having two smaller episodes, we're going to put all of these into one larger episode. So starting off with number 19, this one was raised by Jen S and says, I've had people think that changing my food and or diet will completely cure my rare disease, which is not the case. How you have like the smirk on your face right now. Like you, there's like a story behind this. So I think what it is, is I've had a hard time with people. Um, like, I think it's something like social media, like spam is, is like fix your disease with this holistic diet and this like anti-inflammatory, which is great. Like it's, we should try and eat healthy, but at the end of the day, like I am alive because of my medication. And that's like, I truly believe to the core of that. Like I am alive because of my medication. And sometimes when I see those, it just is like, I almost feel like I'm getting a little like, like ignorance. Well, I think it's hard too, because I, I know a lot of it's probably coming from a good place. Yeah. But I feel like I've throughout the past several years tried so many different diets and things and realized what might work one week doesn't really work the next week for me that like I it's hard to just look at something and say this is the cure-all for everything yeah I think it's even hard to just find foods that honestly like sit okay with me like there are days that I find all I can really consume is like crackers sometimes you know like And then the next day I can have a steak. Like there's no, (laughs) there's no kind of like rhythm or there's no um, like code I can use to go off of to like have a quote unquote like diet because every day is so different. Well, take today, for example, is that, so we got up, we went, did some shopping. We did more, we did a lot of shopping today. Um, For our girl, Chloe, shout out. But, um, neither of us wanted to even think about food to the point that like, we're, it's like two o'clock and we're in like a food court at the mall. We look around and we're like, this is making us nauseous just standing here. Mm -hmm. So we leave and go get a big piece of cake. Like that really was strange, but like, it was the only thing weird. It was the only thing that didn't make either of us nauseous was sitting in a cake shop, getting this giant piece of cake. But like we had to force ourselves to eat real food today. Yeah. And what was weird is like, this wasn't like a fast food court per se. Like there was a Chipotle, but like these were like, this food court was like nice restaurants. It wasn't like greasy. Like it wasn't like there was a McDonald's and a Wendy's. No, there was like actual food there. Right. And like, even like sometimes looking at the signs, it makes me queasy. Well, and it wasn't even that, like, I think it was being in the room and all these people eating also made me feel really nauseous too. Like being around other people eating was triggering me too. Yeah. And to be like, yeah, we went and got a piece of cake, but if you think about it, we didn't have that for like another hour and a half. To be honest, um, three fourths of mine is still sitting on a table behind <laughs> us. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, that's what sounded good. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think carrot cake is probably in our diet of things that make you feel better. <laughs> Sorry, our doctors out there. I promise we're not eating so much sweets this weekend. <laughs> uh, we are on now 20. 20. There's an assumption that all doctors know and learn about rare diseases. This is certainly not true. I, I feel like every time I get a new doctor, I have to like explain my disease. And then I know for a fact, and it, they've even told me this, they go out of the room, mm-hmm. they Google it because mm-hmm. they either don't believe what I told them, or they're so confused by what I told them, or they're just fascinated. And then they come back in and tell me that they Googled it. And this is what they learned. And, and they're fascinated. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they want to know more, but like, it's really frustrating to have to be the person who has to be the expert on your disease when you have zero medical background. It's actually amazing how much, I mean, outside of our care teams and outside of like the specialty, how much doctors don't know about the lymphatic system in general. Yeah. Which I think is really surprising. Like, yeah. As a kid, you learn your lymphatic system makes you better, like keeps you healthy. So why isn't there more done to study it and understand it and really treat it better? What was wonderful though, is Liz and I got the opportunity. Was it you, Penn, that students that we spoke to? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we did um, a little seminar, just like talking to um, medical students about getting into rare disease and having that be something as like their career path. And it was just cool to see some of them be receptive to it because it's intimidating. That's an intimidating field to go into, but we need more people getting into it because like, like we know there's over 300 million people in the world with a rare disease that is quite substantial. Yeah. And I, I do appreciate like my primary for like sticking through and trying to figure this out because like, I, I feel like after I met her and explained everything, she's like, yeah, I didn't learn anything about this in school. I'm like, I appreciate you telling me that. Like, I I assumed you knew nothing about this when I walked in this room, but like she, she holds her own a little bit. I think she's trying. um, But I think as a, as a patient, all we can ask of our doctor sometimes is if they try, um, maybe don't turn to us as patients and say, that's so fascinating. Tell me more. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that that kind of makes it feel like you're on show. I think what would be nice is like, so I don't know your disease, but I'm willing to research right. and I'm willing to learn instead of like asking me the questions. Like I, like, obviously we know a lot about our disease because we've had to learn but I think what's hard is when people try and care for us without knowing anything about it, because like, I know they're wrong a lot of the time and it's quite frustrating, especially at like urgent cares or whatever it is. When I'm like, I know I have a UTI. It is not a kidney stone. Like that time I went, I was like, I can tell you what it is. Let's get this wrapped up. Well, and it then there's the exact opposite of the people that are well, now that you've told me all this, I don't want to treat you because I don't want things to get worse. So mm-hmm. why don't you go back to your specialist? Because I'm sure my yeah. pediatric specialist wants to hear what my gynecologist is trying to tell me. So I I think that there's a medium between going to the specialist for everything and you as a medical professional being willing to try to understand when your patients come in. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. 
So moving on to number 21, it's frustrating when people tell me, but you look great. My response, thanks. You don't see me on the days I look like my medical record. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So, so listeners, we spent a lot of time on our makeup today. Um, although we wore sweatshirts and leggings all day, our faces looked really great today, but there were definitely moments where both Taylor and I are like, we need to go lay down. Like, this is a lot. It is so true. Like, and this is me, honestly, I wear makeup pretty much every day because I feel good. Like, I feel like I'm doing something for myself. I'm getting ready. But like, we were at the mall today and there were times when I was like, I just need to sit down in the car for a minute. Like, I feel super nauseous all of a sudden. And Liz felt dizzy. And like, those are things we go through during the day. Like when we're just exhausted or our disease is just like comes in waves and we're like, Whoa, we need to take a moment. But like, I'm pretty sure nobody would ever notice. No, I, but I feel like we put on such a face sometimes. Like, I feel like we see it in each other because we know what each other's yeah, doing. I saw it in you. <laughs> you definitely saw it in me. And I thought I was hiding it so well. <laughs> I think there was a moment that I was literally just standing in a store uh-huh. leaning on like a post or something and just pretending like I was casually just standing there. <laughs> no, it was because I legit couldn't move and I needed to like sit down. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like there's part of that too. And that response of like, but you look great. It's like, but that's not rare disease. That's not, especially rare disease that doesn't show. Our rare my disease, insides are not my outside. Yeah. Our rare disease is not visible. Well, parts of it are parts of it. Yeah. But for the most part, it's not. Mm-hmm. And by parts of it, I mean like swelling the lymphedema in my leg. Like there are little things and like scars in certain places, right? Like those things, but like the average person probably wouldn't notice too much. Yeah. And oh, this kind of, this next one's kind of connected. Um, people need to understand that we oftentimes don't outwardly look physically ill. We'd be your neighbor, your nurse, your teacher. Yeah. You walk past lots of rare disease patients every day and have no idea who they are based on appearance alone. So I kind of have a story with this. So grad school, it's over. Thank goodness. Um, but as part of my overarching project for this, I focused a little bit on supporting rare disease and what we're doing with the podcast. And I had to give like a giant presentation on it. It was fantastic. I got to read it. It was, yeah, it was not that fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. Okay, go on. So um, we had to like post this for our classmates to critique it. And we were assigned like three or four people to critique. And this one guy who's been in a couple of my classes, I had actually, I think he was in one or two of my group projects earlier in this, in the semester was assigned to review mine. I'm like, okay, well, this is a guy who I know. I've never talked to him about this, but hey, at least he knows who I am. So maybe he'll be nice. He wrote this long thing about how his son has a rare disease and it took them a couple of years to find a doctor. And so he totally understood the struggles of trying to live day to day with rare disease. And it was really touching to hear his story and know that like my project actually meant something to someone. Um, but I had no idea that he was living with that. He had no idea I was living with this because it's not something People you have talk to talk about, about. Yeah. That's really neat. I bet that was a cool connection for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I probably will never talk to him again, but it was a really interesting response and end to the big project that I did. And I think that also goes to show, though, that 
there are more of us than we realize. This is just something like we don't talk about. Yeah. Do you think that we don't talk about it intentionally or do you think it, it's just like, why do you think we don't talk about it? I think the reason I didn't talk about it is because I wanted to protect quote unquote normal in my life. Like whether that was my career, school relationships, like I just didn't want that as like me. And I still don't think it's like me, but I'm living with it. Like, and it's not like I have, you know, I think about it every day. I deal with it every day, but I didn't want that to be like, oh, Taylor in the office, the sick one, you know, like, that's just not something I wanted, like as a, from a professional aspect. I can see wanting to keep it separate from a professional perspective, but I feel like when you get to those personal relationships and actually having true connections with people. If it's something that is that hidden, are you ever able to really get that true connection? Well, I think too, part of it, at least for myself was like, I needed to accept it for me before I can share with others. And that took a long time because I couldn't even talk to myself about it. Like I was not, I wasn't there. Do you think that some of that had to do with your age? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I would like, I think that probably I got there a little bit faster because I was older. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's hard for our much younger folks to, especially those that are learning about this when they're like going through the teenage years and really changing times of their lives of really understanding this and accepting that they will be living with this. And if it is a chronic rare disease, Mm -hmm. it's not really going to go away. I think that was the most difficult thing for me is, you know, being diagnosed at 17, it was like right before college. And I had this idea of what I was going to go for and I wanted to be a physical therapist. And then I realized soon after with everything with my back, I can't do that. I physically can't be a physical therapist. Like I need to have some kind of a change because the way that I'm learning about my disease and the way that I'm feeling like I can't go that route. And so like, there's a big piece of acceptance of like, you need to find something else. And I feel like that continues to change, but I have way more acceptance for it now. I think because I'm probably at a place where stuff is more stable in general. I have degrees. I've, you know, I'm like pretty stable in my career. So like, if I need to make changes, I make changes, but it's not like I'm in school having this moment of like, what am I doing? Yeah. Number 23. I think a major misconception of rare disease is that a diagnosis is given from birth or sought after. This is not always the case. Some rare disease patients are born in perfect health and live years before they have a trigger to their disease. Mm. Literally overnight, families will have to live with massive changes. They will now learn to live with severe disability in the medical maze of rare disease. I think we both can say that that happened to us. I think we both can think of days that our life was forever changed because we were in an ER and told a terrible diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we had had um, Leah on one of our earlier episodes and she had talked about how um, there's like a day that just sits with her because like that was the day that everything happened. And like, she kind of thinks about it when it gets close to that day. My day for that is two days from now. So it, like, I think that there really is 
a lot of trauma behind when that trigger happens, Mm -hmm. because there's a lot that you have to go through and think about. And I think that I naively was most concerned about my hair. I was concerned I was going to be at chemo and I was concerned I was going to lose my hair. And in my shock state, that's all I could think about was, but I don't want to lose my hair. I don't want to lose my hair. Like that's all that went through my mind. And it wasn't even, wait, what does this mean long-term? What does this mean for my future? It was my, I was so focused on one thing, but I think that that was how I was able to deal with it. Which is so interesting about the hair thing, because it was so much more than cosmetic to me. It was the, now you look sick. Exactly. Like, sorry, excuse me. Someone could look at you Mm -hmm. and know exactly what you're going through. Right. Right. I wasn't able to, like we've said before, hide from it. Cause like, it's just so out there, unfortunately. Um, I think a big part of this too, it says that some rare disease patients are born in perfect health and live years before they have a trigger to their disease. For the most part, and we talked about this earlier today, I went a pretty, I wouldn't say like normal childhood. Cause I definitely had like a lot of pneumonia, a lot of symptoms of what we now know is our disease. But for the most part, up until middle school, I was pretty okay. And I was functioning pretty all right. And so I felt like I had a really normal childhood in that way. Like I was running around, I was playing in the backyard. I, you know, was um, playing tetherball and doing all these things. And I am kind of grateful for that experience um, because I feel like the people around me, especially my family, didn't treat me like so differently when I got sick. Like, I think that they still had big expectations for me. And I appreciated being like held accountable, not just like I'm, you know, dealing with an illness, but that they knew there was more for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful. I didn't have that life growing up as a sick kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm grateful. I got six, got to determine what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah, things have to move a little bit because of our illnesses. Um, but I'm grateful for the time that I had before that. Yeah. And I think a big part of it too is, especially for our young listeners, I hope that whatever it is that you dream about, whatever it is that you want to do in life, like, I hope, you know, I feel like I could get emotional with this, but I, I hope, you know, you can do your dreams and you can make things happen. And even if you have to make adjustments, like I do even in my work now and just like career path and whatnot, like I'm still so happy in the field that I'm in. And this was something I chose for me the same way, like you all will be able to do even some form of, of what that dream is. Why did these get so deep? I don't know. You know why? Because <laughs> it like kind of like gives us a prompt and then it's like, <laughs> but like, yeah, I just, I, I hope even the kids that do grow up ill know, like we are so powerful. We can do so much. So our next topic, um, number 24 says, don't think that we don't love what we have. Having a rare disease comes with pluses and minuses, but I wouldn't trade my life if given the choice. So many incredible people have come into my life due to my rare disease. 
the tough times I endured have made me a better person. Mm. So I will say like reading that, I was really confused. Yeah, at the, the beginning, I was, I was like, where is this person going? Like what, what positive could there possibly be yeah. from having, like what positive is there from taking ridiculously expensive medication that has crazy side effects, spending multiple hours a week in a hospital or a doctor's office? Like what positive could it be? But I'm sitting next to a positive. So mm. I, I think that this person who wrote this does have a, the right mindset. I don't know if I would necessarily call that a plus and a minus. I think that interacting with our rare disease community has shown me a lot of resilient people. Yeah. I I don't really truly like the the term brave people because I don't think you have to necessarily be brave Um, because I don't think anyone can be brave all the time. But I and they think shouldn't be. they shouldn't be, you should be able to have moments where you are not brave. So if you are someone who's going through something with your illness, it's okay to not be brave. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to cry in your hospital bed. It's okay. Um, but what I think that I have found is that there are a lot of caring and resilient people out there who really have your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And so, um, community, um, thank you for being that positive for thank us. You. Because it really does help make our days better. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. But like, I wouldn't even consider rare disease coming with pluses and minuses. I feel like this is just life. Like, life is a roller coaster. And this is part of that roller coaster that kind of stays with us for the whole ride. But wow, like, we have quite an incredible community. And I feel like having this rare disease and having this community, I feel like just like my individual growth of like what's important to me in life has been like so much more clear. Like I'm a very old soul. Like I, I'm just like, I know what I want and I'm comfortable with, you know, the cards I've been dealt and we're working with them. So our last, our last myth, and this is kind of sad because I've enjoyed these myths. Um, A misconception of living with rare disease is that all experiences are the same. Instead, those experiences of people living with rare disease are as diverse as the people who live with even the same rare disease. There may be similarities to symptoms and treatments, but pain, medications, therapies, appointments, lifestyles will differ depending on who is living with the rare disease. We are still a kaleidoscope of our race, nationality, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, age, class, and ability. Telling our complete and unique stories is imperative to patient-centered medicine. I love that. What a beautiful like ending to the Mythbusters. Like, even in our own disease, we are all so different and diverse. And and that's what like makes this beautiful beautiful community. Like, even outside of our rare diseases, just our differences in the way that we live our lives and the way that we communicate. I think one of part, the coolest things and even one of the most difficult is our friends from abroad and some of our support groups, like language barrier is, is really challenging, but like talking to them and connecting with people on different continents is like such a form of connection and such like a beautiful thing that like, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. And I think that there's so much that we can learn from each other Mm -hmm. because all of us, we have our specialists 
they only see a small subset of our diseases, but like being able to share and give ideas and help spread some of that knowledge across the community, I think is really helpful too. So um, I'm happy that we're able to use our platform as a way for us to share not only our, our voices and our stories, but yours as well. Um, so really do appreciate all of your support and thank you for listening. And this has been the Not Sorry Podcast.